Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here, and today's a very special episode. I'm interviewing one of my close friends, Nathan Mosher. It's sort of an interview slash co-hosting situation where we talk about how we built our comedy club at UCLA and were able to help make UCLA the number two college comedy scene in the country. So without further ado, here we go. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here with Nathan Mosher. Uh-huh. Nathan Mosher is a comedian and a really good friend of mine. We ran many shows together, including Boy Band, a show that we're going to do tonight in Westwood at the Improv Space. We also started the Shenanigans Comedy Club together at UCLA. I briefly helped him with his Roadkill comedy show, and uh, he's one of my best friends, and we've been doing comedy together for a long yeah. time. So this interview is going to be a little different because it's not going to be exactly like an interview. We're going to just talk about our experience, uh, you know, producing shows and just starting, you know, more or less the comedy scene at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Hello, Nathan. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Not much. Um, Dude, this is, is this your first time being on a podcast that's not yours? No. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, we started the shenanigans together um, our freshman year at UCLA. Yeah. Well, um, how, so, you knew Charlie. I guess you could start with your thing and then, because uh, I had another club. Oh, and yeah. And yeah. We, we, at first, you were like my rival and I wanted to like tear you down. What? <laughs> Did I tell you that? No. So, wait, but Charlie started shenanigans and then bailed, and you came with him? You were friends with him? Yeah, okay, so basically what happened was I got to UCLA from my little Connecticut uh, town, and uh, I wanted to do comedy, because I did a comedy class in New York City, Um, which is, like, really random. It was, like, such a scam. It was, like, $400, and I would literally, like, commute, like, an hour to the city, do literally two minutes of stand-up, and then, like, 14 very unqualified other uh, people attending the class would give me criticism, and then I'd feel bad about myself and go home. <laughs> and then I did, like, one show where, like, people, like, were basically, they had to laugh because they came for their friends. It was literally a bringer show, and you I did followed Jim Gaffigan. Yeah? Okay, wait. <laughs> so that was, a, that was the third show I did. The uh... first one was at Gotham, and um, I, I know this is, like, a random tangent. But I thought I, like, killed it because, like, people laughed. But they were just, like, friends and family of all the, like, performers. So, like, they were compelled to laugh. But the third show, yeah, the third show I did at Gotham, a bringer show, I literally followed Jim Gaffigan. Um, He went up. They're like, hey, by the way, uh, Jim Gaffigan's going up. Uh, Is that okay? And I'm like, "Uh, uh, sure, yeah. And then he killed, and I went up, and it was, like, the worst set of my life. Yeah, he ate a dick. Yeah, it was really embarrassing. Makes sense. But anyway, I got to UCLA, and I wanted to do comedy. And at the activities fair, there was no stand-up comedy club, weirdly. There was only, like, an improv team. There was, like, Rapid Fire Improv and then, like, LCC Improv. And, like, yeah, and Seder, which is, like, a comedy writing magazine. But there was, like, literally just no stand-up. So I this kid, Charlie, came up to me, and he's like, hey, I want to start a comedy club. And uh, he... Wanted me to be a signatory. You need, like, three people to sign off on it to make it an official, like, UCLA club. And uh, we started it, and I remember our first meeting. Were you at our first meeting? No. You weren't even there. 
No, Damn. Charlie messaged me because uh, one point though. Okay. Yeah. Really? Oh, like to do it, be in the club. He saw my club on the website. Probably. Oh, and then yeah. you like didn't let him in. So, no, I didn't. Uh, my club wasn't really a club. Dude, like, your club was, was fake. It was like a front. No, well, because so what happened with me was in high school, I met um, these two people, Paige Weldon. Well, I met Paige Weldon, and Paige had stand up at UCLA. Oh, well, she had a show on campus, and uh, my friend told me about it, and I asked if I could take it over. But then she said, well, you just got to start a club. So they had, yeah. they didn't have a real club. They just registered a club just so they could run a show. Yeah. And so the, I did that. I just wanted to run a show. Oh yeah, you didn't yeah. care about but then, family. But then within the a community. But then within a week, um, this guy Sean uh, Shanahan or something. He Sean Shanahan. That sounds like such Sean a fake, Luke like Shanahan. leprechaun name. Yeah. That sounds like fake IDs uh, or something. He messaged me saying he he was an OCHC on campus housing council programming coordinator, and he said I want to run a, a show. He wants to do a big show. And so, uh, this was like within the first month of school. He let me run a big show on campus, and really, you oh wait, did yeah. there? How did you? Oh, I never knew this story. Of how yeah, you did so that. then, like, so then, I just booked uh, Leo Flowers, this guy headliner, and I got all of my friends to do fifteen minutes, and I got some people from like who went to UCLA before. It's pretty sick. So I got me, Marsalis, Rich, all fifteen minutes. And it was a big show. It was pre-packed. It was 160 people because and it was like they, the first thing they did all the they did all the promotion and stuff, and that was freaking cool. Um, Your yeah. first show like that you ever produced was just like way more successful than most people's shows they like ever produced. No, that's not life. the first show I've ever. Really? Well, the first show I ever produced, quote unquote, was um, I got into that the CISA, the writing camp. Uh, I got into the, it's California State Summer School for the Arts, and it's got like visual arts writing. It's a month long camp, and it's a thousand. It was a thousand dollars, but you get classes the whole month, and you get to live there at Cal Arts. Well, and that's so pretty cool. I, it was amazing, and I got into that. And to raise money, I threw a variety show at my house, and I like promoted all over what? Like, in my classes. And you wait, what year were you you're in, in high, high school? school? Yeah. How old were you? Seventeen. A senior. Senior. Yeah, and so I got a bunch of people to my house, and I ended up raising seven hundred fifty dollars. Really? Yeah, and then how my, many people came? Like sixty to seventy. It was all like family and friends. And Shit. It was spoke it, poetry, music, comedy, and uh, I hosted it. That's then, sick. Yeah, it was super. Did people cool. laugh at your jokes, or did they? Were they very upset? I think no. I did. I did well. I remember. I, I there's like a video of it somewhere. Actually. Really? Yeah. Or on uh, my actually, it's gone now. It was on my old computer, but. Um, yeah, uh, that was when I did, like, one-liners. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, and then my grand, my, I have a relative who's rich, and she just gave me a blank check, so I raised all the money. A blank check? Like, for what I had left. She was like, how so much you're do you just have like, left? She was like, how much do you have left? Baby. And I was like, oh. 250 and she just wrote me a $250 check. That's so nice. Yeah, so I got to go, and it, CISO was one of the coolest. I had a similar experience, a, a definitely more privileged version, which is, like, my parents just paid for me to go to summer camp at UCLA, and then I just did a stand-up show there. That's dope. That's so cool. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, at the at the summer camp, I did two sets. Uh, I I did a set for the music students, and then uh, I, you, there's this purple magazine called the Purple Blurb, and it, every day it had the events, and so you, someone told me you can just put an event there, and so I, yeah, I like sold out this um, coffee. Like everyone came to this coffee shop. I I bombed. 
that was when I was like doing this Jesselnik, like trying to be mean on stage. Oh. And looking back, like I, I think when I first started, I was decent because I was being nice on stage. And then once I started doing that, I bombed for a really long time. And then once I dropped that, I started doing okay. Damn. <laughs> yeah, my first set, I was 15. And then we're gonna go back to the the comedy club part. We just kind of yeah. went on a tangent for first shows. Um, my first set, I was like 15. And my friends, like, forced me to do, like, comedy in front of, like, the entire talent show. Yeah, that's And there were, like, 200 people there. That's cool, though. And I did, like, my, like, Seinfeld impressions and stuff. Damn. And I did, like, an improv Seinfeld episode. That's cool. Like, oh, Jerry, you're never going to believe it. It's Susan Jerry. Like, George, what's the matter? Hey, Jerry. And I did that, and I did um, Christopher Walken, like, singing Poker Face. (laughs) I'm like, ah, ooh. Ah, get them hot. Show them what I got. Really and I think it was gonna be. Uh, I think it was stroke or fa- it was like he was having a stroke. That's pretty funny. Ah, ooh, okay. Oh yeah. But yeah, so then we did that show, and so you were there though, right? That what? big stand-up show. Yeah, your first show. Yeah, you were there, right? Yeah, I was there. And then that's why I saw Richie. Yeah, so, and then and then Richie we, Rosales is our friend. Who's and then very we funny. we talked after that. Or how did that happen? How did we um, meet? I don't know. I didn't think I talked to you there. Yeah, so we're I don't know how probably, we came into contact. But anyway. Oh, I think a friend, like, probably through Charlie or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of how we intersected. So I'm going to go back to my first comedy meeting story. So Charlie ran the first meeting back to the Shenanigans Club. Yeah. So Nathan's club was called what? Stand Up at UCLA. Stand Up at UCLA. Our club was called Shenanigans. We had our um, very first meeting. And, um, huh, I want to tell the story. I wonder if it's, like, defamatory. <laughs> What, he just bailed? No. Oh. The banging? He banged a club member? Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, you know this. I did, kind of. I'd so there were like literally three people. Um, they won't be named for their privacy. Yeah. And then he banged them. Um, anyway, he, I, I found out that um, a few days later, I'm like, I'm really pumped from the first meeting. I'm like, this is going to be great. Or you have yeah. a, a really cool show, uh, a really cool club. And I'm really excited to do stuff with you guys. And then, like, about a week later, I got a text, like, Austin, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, what? And it's Charlie. Yeah. And he's like, um, I, I banged one of the members. I banged one of them. This is so awkward. I can't continue. Wait, he quit because of that? <laughs> Wait, well, it was really awkward. I don't know oh, if he quit. But then shortly after that, he's like, it's just too much work. I can't. He was maybe part of the club for a few weeks. He's like, I just can't do it. It's just too much work. There's too much overhead. So There's too, mu- uh, too much stress. So you just quit. He quit That's the club. Hilarious. He named it, right? He named yeah. it Shenanigans. He got a logo made from his friend. And then he set right? it up, yeah. and it still lives today, which is really funny. His name and logo. Yeah. But he left about three and a half weeks in, and then I took over as president. And the other signatory left, too. Yeah. And so then, then, then where did it go from there? Um, so I helped. I how did you on. get a part of it? Yeah, well, we, I think we met through Charlie, now that I'm remembering. Yeah, I think we met through Charlie, and... And then we just met I'm up like, again, and you were oh, like... Oh, you're like, I have my own club, and I'm like, wait, why are there two? Well, I, my, I was like, oh, let's keep both, because we'll get joint funding or whatever, but then eventually it's just like, well... And then I just make, like, force you to join mine. And, I mean, there was just no point to, like, keeping... Because my club was... Your club, you actually wanted everything. Like, you, people in it. Well, you wanted oh. people in it, and you also wanted a... Like, improv and You wanted, like, a cohesive... Up. You wanted it to be a hub for all different... Comedies. Comedy groups. And uh, and I was just like, yeah, I mean, my club's not really a club. It was just a run show. So if I just come up, I'll come with yours. Like, yeah. Same thing. 
Yeah. So then you get dissolve yours, and we join forces. And do you remember what those first few meetings were like? It was just like not a lot of people. I Chris started coming because I met Chris uh, volunteer day, and he's saying he was into stand up. Um, and then who else? Like I don't remember how we found other people. It was just Chris, me, you, and a lot of it was through activities fair. So if people you want to start your own comedy club, the activities fair at your college or I wherever. I remember those first few meetings. Yeah. Well, uh, that's where you may, like get people to join, and um. So the first few meetings were really chaotic. We tried to do improv, stand-up, like, all together. Yeah. And it really, like, oscillated the amount of people we had. Like, af- after an activity store, we'd get, like, 25 people in the club. Yeah. And then, like, they'd come to one meeting, and they'd be like, hey, so we're going to do, like, improv. And we'd, like, go around. Yeah. And, like, oh, that's true. I remember that. We'd go around in circles and tell each other bits. Yeah. And then, like, give each other feedback, which is, like, really bad. Wait, I And remember... then we would do, like, some improv at the end of the well, meeting. I, I remember in the middle. So, like, uh, there was a dr- disjointed thing. But then I remember when you guys first started doing the meetings. And I, I wouldn't really come all the time because I would go do open mics in the city. But I remember being thinking that was pretty cool when you would you would have like I remember at one point like ten people and you guys would tell your bits to each other. I thought that was you liked it. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, we kept that part actually. Yeah. Eventually later on. Yeah, but no, I thought that was pretty cool. So how long did that go on and and doing? So then that kind of went on it like died down. like during the winter quarters we'd lose members and then in the beginning of the year we'd gain members. Um, basically, the main like inflection point where the club was like. This wait, is, wait, but what about... What? We're already skipping ahead to that. I was going to skip to the first show. Oh, okay. So it wouldn't... Yeah. Yeah. Show. Yeah. The the main thing that, ma- that made me realize, like, this club is, like, worth my time and, like, you know, valuable was when we realized we can get funding. Because I was actually thinking about, like, joining a fraternity. Yeah. And I was going to do that. And, yeah. like, literally just, like, put my efforts there. Um, and then I would have to, like, drop the club for a quarter. But what made me not want to do that was in spring quarter, I realized we can get funding. You knew this, but I didn't realize the extent of the funding we can get. Yeah. We could just like go to like the, I don't know, apply to random funds at our school yeah. and just get thousands of dollars for shows. Yeah. So we, so you know, some comedians. Yeah. We just, we hit up people on Facebook that we didn't yeah. even know that we knew from like this dude, Aaron Weaver from like the Laugh Factory. Well, you did. Yeah, I did that. Sherwin and Ray from the Laugh Factory. We hit up um, this woman, Melissa Villasenor, who's on Saturday Night Live now. Quinta Brunson. All these people are, like, pretty, like, decent. Um, I think we had Jamar Neighbors come. Wait, did he come to that one? Um, He probably... Yeah, no, yeah, I remember that one. He He did? He real hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Kirk Hoffman. But that was the first time. And then, like, friends and people we knew. Yeah, and then friends and then people in the club. So that first show, we probably had, like, 100... 20 people yeah out. i remember the first show was pretty good and then i remember we'd have like anywhere from 60 to 100 right but yeah. then when did when did uh and then you, but you guys started trying to do different branches the whole time right but just no. never took oh off. yeah just never worked like yeah we tried to have like different we wanted a way to do like all types of comedy in the club like stand-up sketching improv it never worked out so we started some shows that um, was good for our branding because we had a Bruin Fest was our stand-up show that we have every quarter and it still exists. And that's like the big stand-up comedy show where we book like headliners and features from yeah. LA that are really good and also put our like comedians in the club up. Um, the comedians in the club maybe do like five minutes and then the features will do 
what like 10 or 10 and then a headliner will do like 30 minutes or something so like that, that that was the only show we had for a little while right yeah at first we only had bruin fest yeah. and that was like the well we actually had one big circle joke first yeah or no that was our second show at the improv space yeah. so we had that one main quarterly show which is our big giant stand-up show and then we had like little ancillary shows at like the improv space which is like a local improv theater near ucla where you can rent the space for like forty dollars an hour um but then after that like the next year was kind of really like sad <laughs> second year of the club was sad like well, no cause, one was yeah because really i feel it. like it was like you guys would try to do an open mic or but you'd have a club meeting and it would just be talking about shows it was like so, very disorganized yeah very disorganized we had no idea of structure you would go there and then you would just talk about shows and so uh -huh. i think anyone coming would just be like oh this isn't we're not doing anything comedy really yeah so people were kind of bummed out from that. That that's when I didn't. Well, I, from the beginning I wasn't coming that much. But yeah, that, you but were, I remember not coming like at all. That like sophomore year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I never thought about that. So we still had our stand-up show, quarterly stand-up show, and then in winter I started the our quarterly sketch improv show, and this was uh, this was mostly our first iteration was uniting. This was our the first time we uh, we actually united the whole comedy scene. Oh, because so I got rapid fire. Doctor Magic. Oh uh, no, that was a stand-up show. Oh. At the improv sketch improv show, we had a UCB team. We had the uh, rapid fire improv. We had LCC theater, and I made my own sketches for the show. Oh, so you and did we packed. We we did well. We had like 130 people. I wrote all sketches. But who was who else was in the sketch part at this point? What no one, thinking? just me. Really? Alex helped me film. Oh, shit. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, yeah. So, we at now, my second year, we had two quarterly shows. And what was really good about the quarterly shows is that um, it provides branding and consistency. So, we called, like, the stand-up show Bruin Fest. Laugh Den was, like, the sketch improv show. So, we had maybe, like, f five people at this point. No, five to seven. Like, consistent people. It was, like, me, you, Chris, Lulu, and sometimes... And, then, and like, Natalie. Natalie and then Alex and what about Dewey? and then Stephanie oh yeah Stephanie would be there all Luke the time. Moran yeah so we had a few yeah and then so we kept doing we had two shows now and then that was a huge success and what made the sketch improv show very successful was uniting the comedy scene really uh, got us more people yeah because definitely. each group's bringing their own people yeah definitely um, so, but I, I just remember, uh, so that was sophomore year. You guys, that was our sophomore that. year. Did we do anything else? Wasn't Not that really. climactic, but it's kind of sad sophomore year. But sad. then, but then you guys, I just remember you had like a huge meeting at the end of the year. To, uh, to After get, the end of sophomore year. What was that? I don't remember. I, that to me, that was like huge. You had a huge meeting, and we all talked about it. It was not that many of us, but we all, you like laid down everything. You were like, let's start fucking really planning this shit. Oh, yeah. I think at the end of sophomore year, we like came up with some sort of like, Actual... we're, we're going to kill it, like a game plan of like yeah, making actually... branches and like doing all these things. Yeah, I and remember leadership it was super and organization. long and like, yeah, it was really long. And then Kylie kept asking questions. Everyone's like, why don't you understand this? Oh, I remember that meeting. Yeah. That's see? like the, um, the birth of Kylie. That was our first meeting. She came in with her scooter, and she got really pumped. 
so this it, was, it was this an, was junior. It was no, Ackerman. no, it can't be junior. It was Ackerman on the third floor. But what, this was junior or sophomore year. Yeah. So this was our. But but I remember that being. It seemed like that really made things. Is any of this interesting to anyone listening? Uh, I, don't I don't know. Who cares? Uh, yeah, I remember that being. I love you all. <laughs> I remember uh, that being pretty important. Yeah, a big pivoting moment was when we we're like, okay, we're gonna plan and have a structure, like a and a leadership structure, a staff structure, like, and actually copying operating models of other successful organizations. Something that really helped with starting, uh, like an organization like this comedy club was, I jo- coincidentally joined Campus Tours sophomore year. Campus Tours is a very social organization, and. I've been, I really wasn't a part of that many student organizations, but you learn how organizations run in general and how organizations are able to keep people like happy and excited about it through like social oh, so functions really and things like, like that. I got to make this a real thing. Or... Yeah. And that, that was part of it. I knew that like, so campus tours would like they party, right? So yeah. I knew that like having parties and like little weird initiation things and scavenger hunts like brings people together. So doing those sorts of activities is what I knew would like re, uh, keep the retention of our members. You did that in junior year. Yeah. So that's yeah. When, but then to me, the biggest year. thing was when you split the club up. Yeah. That to me was the reason why. That's what made it like explode. Yeah, that's a hundred percent the reason why. So then my junior year. Um, so for context, I auditioned for Rapid Fire, uh, the improv team. It's like the good improv team on campus, like twice. I guess my sophomore year at first. And then after that interview, they're like, or that audition, they're like, yeah, like we just thought you weren't that into it. Cause you were on your phone, but you were really good. And they basically said I was like really good. And like, I would have made it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So then all sophomore year, I became friends with all of them. Junior year. I auditioned again, being friends with them. And like, to be fair, I did pretty like average in the interview, but, um, why is my car exploding do you need the for context we're in the car and the car is making weird ass sounds all right that was weird okay so i'm gonna re-say that um anyway so i i auditioned junior year and i knew everyone and i bombed and i just just bombed and they didn't let me in and i could i knew i couldn't be on an improv team so i said fuck it and then i i started my own yeah, and then we already had the sketch branch. Um, but yeah, to uh, we didn't have sketch. Huh? We didn't. We didn't have a sketch branch at this point. No. But we did that after. So basically, huh. I added improv teams to the club. So there was an like, A team and a B team for like learning and development, because there wasn't a resource for people to learn and develop yeah. improv skills. It was only like the teams you had to audition for, and then if you weren't good enough to make the team, you're just screwed and you can't do improv in college, which is such a bummer. So we, we started a B team too, where if you auditioned and you didn't make the A team, you would go on the B team. And this fostered such a huge sense of community because the improv teams stick together and they like practice like every week. And then those are the people that go on to like become like staff members and help with other aspects of the club and help stand-ups. And, well, like, also, I, I can't remember if Comedy and Chill happened before the first meeting. No, the first meeting happened and then Comedy and Chill happened. We did Comedy and Chill, but we didn't have any improv teams. So, yeah, that was, I mean, that was huge when we came back. And that was also huge. So that was another huge thing that we was, did. It went viral. Like, it went viral. 62 RSVP. Yeah, so, yeah, so let's backtrack. So basically, there are two elements we can point to 
for the success of a comedy organi- organization, or at least ours, was we started to improv teams that retended a lot of people because people tended to not quit once they were on the improv team because well, it's a the, sense of value. And then I think the stand-up, now we had the opportunity to have just a stand-up meeting and it was just an open mic. Yeah, exactly. Gave people opportunities to perform. So instead of like our, sh- our meetings being like, all-in-one types of comedy we tailored it to people's specific interests so we had improv meetings like practices stand-up meetings like nathan said that he ran that were just open mics and like feedback and then we started a sketch branch that focused on writing sketches and then our first giant giant show like this is the biggest show we did was the beginning of our junior year we made a show called comedy and chill because it was the whole netflix and chill like joke going on and it went basically viral. But it was every single, every single organization. It was LCC, Rapid Fire. Yeah, it was all the uh, UCLA comedy clubs. And me and Brett and you helped run it too. Yeah, Pretty you much. hosted and then Chris did time and then I did time. Yeah, so we had some of the stand-up comics perform. We had the two improv teams perform. And we got a huge alumni improv team that performed the waitlist. Oh, yeah. So we... The event on Facebook literally got like 560. I remember 562. Like, interested and or going. No, no, or that was going. Because they didn't have interested in those 562 days. 562 going. Really? Yes. Oh, shit. I it was remember. going because there was no interested button yet. Well, there's maybe. There's maybe. I don't think there was. No, there was like maybe. It's like Anyways, maybe it was like I'm a I just flake. remember 562. That was crazy. Yeah. And um, we packed it out. We packed out a, a giant uh, auditorium of like 350 people. And that was our first big show. And after that... And then the next one was overflowing to the balcony. We did the oh, my show. God. Yeah, the stand-up show, Bruin Fest. That was also our biggest Bruin Fest show because we had this room that's this, like, weird, like, gothic architecture. 180 people. Like, with chandeliers and shit. It's, like, a weird-ass yeah. room. It's, like, Hogwarts. But we had so many people that they had to overflow to the top floor where the lighting equipment is. And there was just, like, probably 240 people there yeah, or something wow. like that. And, uh, yeah, after that, basically our membership jumped from, like, 10 people to, like, 60 people. Yeah, that, we had a lot. Yeah, that's true. We had a lot. And, and then, now all the shows that we started are still going on. And it's basically a lot of, like, things in the improv space and quarterly shows. I feel like a lot of this podcast is us stroking ourselves. You mean you... Because oh. you wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> like you want to do the alumni show just so you could stroke yourself. I'm doing an alumni show on May 5th if oh, you want to come out. Yeah. Cool. All right. Down. Come. We're gonna have stand-up comics, uh, sketch, and improv, because I can't let go of my college comedy peaking days. <laughs> but all right, Nathan. Now. So that's pretty much the the history, the timeline of our comedy club. Well, How we, we just kept going. And we just kept going, kept adding shows. We had multiple, we had three quarterly shows at this point, and then like weekly shows we started at the improv space. Bi-weekly. Oh, but it was weekly. Oh, yeah. the um, improv shows. Yeah. Became weekly. I just remember you counted, you said you were running like 100 shows a year. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, well, that's not that, that's only, no. Oh, wait, that that's only like in, two shows a week. But oh, then, but that's over one. School year, though. School year, so that's a lot. Yeah, and then we were running boy band. Um, so we ran a lot of shows. Um, okay, so enough just generic stroking. But then just, I think uh, the other thing that contributed was all the comedy groups knew each other now. Yeah. I think that was huge. Exactly. And then, so it was interesting, the efforts that we had in this, uh, 
expanded and had like this ripple effect throughout all of UCLA where other people were so excited about comedy. Like before there was no interest well, in comedy think, on the campus. I think just a lot happened. Like, uh, so I came and Seder was the only magazine, right? But Luke got rejected from Seder. He started Westwood Enabler. That started doing really well. Rapid now they're bigger. Now they're bigger. Rapid Fire wasn't doing that many shows, they said. And then they got in and they started killing it. Um, and then LCC's always been around. Um, it was started by Randall Park. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think just like, uh, all, like a lot of really good people came in at once. Yeah, it was crazy. And there was so many people were enthusiastic. And yeah, everyone just started meeting each other and doing shows. And then our junior year, was it? Or beginning of our senior year, I think. UCLA was ranked the number two college comedy scene, yeah. which was incredible because it went from not even being on the map. That article sucked. Why? It was just fake. Well, cause, no, not sucked, but it just didn't talk about like our comedy scene. It the description had classes and stuff you can take, and I was like, "That's oh not yeah, why. It, was, it, it it accurately labeled us number two, I guess. Yeah. Okay, first of all, I don't even know about. Being I think we're probably two. number one. Yeah, we had a huge comedy scene. Basically, we we're well, doing yeah. God, I want I want this to actually have useful information. I honestly think we're number one. Like, I don't think you can compare what we have to any other school. So, what key elements do you think made us number one? Um, just I mean, I I just think if you counted all the people and like from these things that are gonna like be successful, we have a fuck ton. Like, they're all gonna like you, me, Salma, Brett, um, like Emma Dudley, uh, uh, Luke. Like Kevin Alvarez, like Ben, Ben's gonna do stuff. Like every single person, there's like so many people that are not just interested in comedy and then are gonna stop doing it that are actually gonna do it. For what the about the, the nature of the scene would make us the best? Like, what emulatable oh. things? Oh, we just clearly have the most shows. Like, we just have the most uh, resources. Uh, I don't know if that's true, actually. Harvard is like, Harvard's pretty still great they have the national lampoon i bet they have a fuck ton of improv teams they have a stand-up club so that's probably great um i don't know i mean i'm sure we're like i'm sure there's other schools that are just as good but i think uh those schools like have been known for that or not they're not known for that like harvard's i don't know harvard has a lot of good things i think i don't know if we could say we're the best but we're just clearly one of the best like we're we're one of the best, and the UCLA top. UCLA is good at everything. So it didn't make sense that we didn't have that. <laughs> Great. So you heard it here first. <laughs> Go to UCLA. No, but what about um people may, that might not be at you know schools that are super uh, have like super accessible resources to like Los Angeles? Like, what kind of advice would you give to start a good comedy show in like oh, college or a, an institution? You don't have to be next to uh, LA. You just it's the same thing. There's colleges have readily accessible audiences. It's super easy to promote. They don't do anything else. They're college kids, so they're excited to do things. Like, if you are at a college, you can run dope shit, and that's just the bottom line. How can you it, do it? You just start it the way you do anything. Like, you just literally, if you need to make a club to do it, you do it. You get the venue. It's the same way that you would start. There's great comedy shows in every city in the U.S., like, you know, in the U.S. Um, you just have to start it. Um, and yes, there's no reason that being not being in L.A. would exclude you from being able yeah, to... Yeah, and if you're close to a big city, get, a, get comics from those cities to come to your school. If not, then... Or even then, just get... You can get big headliners if you, if you do the right things. Um, 
like come, what to come to your school like what would you do uh, my friend Andrew ran something he you probably got to become part of the events thing in your in your yeah like uh, most schools college. have like a yeah but events like, commission but like um, Andrew booked uh, my manager now booked uh, comedians at his college he booked like Aziz really uh, yeah this was like when Aziz was just doing Human Giant and so like you can do that like uh, my friend Andrew Lopez like he got to open for how do you just book someone through the what do you mean how do we just book someone I don't know I, I, I'm still in like the interview mode you get oh okay you get money and then you just you apply for funds the same way and you just get them um, it's uh, you just gotta find a way but yeah every, anywhere you are you can you can find it. if there's people around you then you can do stand up <laughs> That's about it. If there are humans, you can. If there are humans, you can do stand-up. So, like, just build uh, build a place for them to meet. <laughs> build a meeting place and then throw a show there. Let's talk about maybe some of the key elements that, um, you know, what gets people excited to, like, do comedy together. Because, like, so many people uh, want to, like, start and they're like, yeah, I want to do stand-up and then they quit, like, so fast. Yeah, um, that's, like... If the yeah, if the meetings are fun, even if they're not all gung ho about stand up, it's like what you said. They're just down to hang out. Like, tons of people just do stand up because they're probably not gonna keep doing it, but now they feel like it's a fun thing for them to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, what you did, like starting a retreat or like, you know, just making it fun is definitely a way. Um, with stand up, if you're gonna have a stand up club, you have to ex- expect it not to be that big. <laughs> Like, if you had 20 yeah. people doing stand-up all the time, that's ridiculous because most people quit. But if you have 10, that's a fuck ton. That's, like, amazing. You have 10 people of college age doing stand-up, that's ridiculous. Most people don't even do college, uh, comedy in college. Most people start way later. So to have 10 people doing stand-up consistently at least once a week in a college is insane. <laughs> that's very true. It's like I was the only person in my high school doing it, right? That's super rare. The chances of someone starting in high school and still doing it is extremely rare. The chances of someone starting in college and doing it is still very rare. So having a bunch of people doing it is, like, really cool. Yeah, it was interesting because doing it together provides, like, a really cool sense of just community and, like, you're all in it together. Because stand-up could be a very isolated thing. Yeah, because, like, for me, when I had to, when I was doing it, I, when I first wanted to do open mics I had to take the bus by myself at 3pm after school and go there and I didn't know that there's millions of people so I'd get there to a garbage open mic and go up super late and be like this is pointless it took me 2 hours to get there and then 3 hours to go up and then 2 hours to get back so that's 7 hours to do 5 minutes in front of 0 people <laughs> so when you're in college uh, or just in general when you're young it's really daunting to do something like that because it's really isolating and cold and so it takes, like, a person that's obsessed to, yeah. to want to do that. And the comedy scene in L.A. is pretty um, it's pretty rough on people that aren't uh, good enough yet or aren't well-known enough yet. It's probably, it's like, like, really bad place to start. It's probably the worst place to develop. Yeah, because you're literally going to, like, coffee shops. You're going to crappy open mics where people really don't care about you. It's The stand-up comedy market is just oversaturated, and... Like, people, like, don't listen, and it's hard to get traction because everyone's trying to do the same thing. And you have people that are, like, one month in, like, with agents. Or not agents. No, with, like, websites not. and, like, business cards. Oh, uh, yeah, that's fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, no, it's probably, like, one of the hardest places to... 
Well, I don't know. There's no hard place to develop if you're passionate about it. That's for sure. But um, a lot of people say that L.A. is one of the worst. I mean, yeah, it definitely is. When I've been in other places, it's so much more welcoming. Yeah. I mean, Seattle's just way better for stage time. And, yeah, so, like, one huge takeaway from, you know, starting these organizations at UCLA is that you realize that you have to sort of create your own space to perform when you don't like the existing like one huge thing i learned is that like you don't have to conform to the existing infrastructure of things and be like oh man like there's no comedy here this sucks you can like take advantage of resources and start your own thing and it's so valuable because when you can't get stage time you have to just make your own stage time that's how i got stage time or that's how i started running my own stuff was how i got stage time elsewhere like uh, because I started posting clips of me killing at these shows. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, shit, he's so good. And I'm like, well, I've already been this good. I just never had an opportunity to show that I was this good. Exactly. It's like the well, net, the networking effect. The network effects are like, one, you could perform way more often, right? Like, you just you create the stage time for yourself. You put yourself up. Yeah. Um, you, the audience is way more receptive and relatable just by nature of it being a college crowd. Um, and you being in college and then when you film it, it looks like you're doing better because the audience is more receptive and then you also have the leverage of representing like an organization's comedy scene. So like, for example, when we'd hit up like headlining comedians to perform, we would always be like, yeah, we're UCLA comedy club. Like we basically run comedy at UCLA and we would get our foots in the door, our foots, wow, our feet in the door with all these like different agents and like we're able to like get like pretty big names to come out yeah like, well it's easier because it, there's no travel because they're in la so that's, that's true i mean but but at other, LA other schools like they have there's ways to get money because they would be willing to fork over more money probably it just there's always a way to get these people um or you just can't shoot for as big comedians but you can still get great people um, yeah and there's also the leverage of like running shows which is yeah. good for like networking with other producers in LA because they'll yeah. book you if you book them kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah, the the biggest thing is uh, that's a good way to put it. If you don't want to go through the existing infrastructure, then you don't have to. But if you if you are comfortable, there's plenty there's plenty of people that are okay with. It's just like if you don't feel welcome and you don't feel like it's fostering your growth, then you don't have to just give up and be like this system is holding me back. Just do another system, and yeah. then you can and then it, it'll work for you. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think when, well, yeah, when it started doing well, I, even then, even when we started doing well, I'd, I'd have be like, oh, I'm killing at these, but college shows, I'm not killing it in the LA scene. And then I would interview bigger, or become friends with bigger headliners or interview them on the podcast. And they would say things like actually wait, what podcast, like the comedians in college getting degrees. I don't know if it's still, it's still happening. This is Nathan's podcast that he started, by the way, in college. Yes. Uh, I don't know. It's still going? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know, actually. You're not running it. So Salma is. Else. But Salma is, but I don't know if it's still up. But yeah, there's a ton of interviews. Um, but yeah, they would be like, actually, what you, they wouldn't be like, actually, but they'd be like, you're doing everything right. Like, keep doing these UCLA stuff. This is actually going to help you a lot. And um, it actually was more valuable than getting in the LA scene. And what I'm realizing now is like, that strategy always applies like creating your own opportunities is well it doesn't always apply different people have different ways but um 
creating your own opportunities can give you a lot of freedom to not have to rely on other people, which is really important. Yeah, it's huge. How have uh, you seen some of the, you know, results of being a part of the comedy scene and starting things here? How has that affected your growth outside of UCLA? Oh, it just made me, like, way better as a comedian. Um, I think when you first start, it, it made me able to build material way fucking faster because I would do new material at each show and I would know that it worked, um, which is huge. And even if the college crowd is more receptive, I would just have to know that they're not going to laugh as hard, but they'll still laugh. Like, if a joke works, a joke works. Just because a college crowd laughs harder than other ones, it doesn't mean the joke's not funny. It just means you might have to work a little harder to get that laugh. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just not relying on other people for stage time. That's huge because you a lot of, so much anxiety as a performer is... Uh, you, you, what is it? You can only paint with the canvas you're dealt. And if, as a comedian, like as a musician, you could just practice by yourself all the time. It doesn't matter. Um, but as a comedian, your, pra- your stage time and your practice is in front of people. And so, especially as an open micer in LA, in other scenes, you can get stage time in front of real people early on, but it's really hard to do that in LA. So having that opportunity is really valuable. Also having confidence as a performer and knowing I've done well and I've also done bad, but you need to know that you've done well because otherwise you're just, it's a vacuum. Like, how do you know you're funny if you if you don't really, you have no proof. That's so true. I mean, starting your own shows really lets you get in front of bigger audiences way faster than you otherwise would because once you get in front of a real audience, at least something I realized is that I think it's easier to do well in front of a bigger audience. But there's different mechanics for each audience. So as a comedian, you have to be able to know, you have to be able to work every audience. You know, you have to be able to work two people, but a lot of people. And I remember one time I was talking to a comedian about, uh, at an open mic, like, I said something like, we were uh, were talking about how some comedian did, or we were talking about mechanics of comedy. I said, like, you know when you're performing in front of a big room and you get, like, the first half of the audience, maybe the first 50 people, you don't get that back? 50 and they're like no and I was like oh yeah because I have that experience so that's something that you until you do a big room you don't know that there's certain mechanics like you could do well in front of 30 people but you do you do those same jokes in front of 100 you got to project all the way you got to perform you got to perform all the way to the back that's so and true that's a that's a whole nother thing um and true fucking killers get the whole room to laugh that's true but just like having that ex- one experience of doing well at least once in front of a big crowd is super motivating. Keeps you going for that's a while. what keeps you going cuz you're like that's what like when you're watching stand up comedians in like a comedy club, you're seeing them do well in front of like I don't know 200 300 people. And if you could do that, if you can make people laugh, 200 300 people laugh, then you know you could do what they can do. You you've yeah. seen yourself do that. My first real killing set was at um Westside Comedy Theater and uh and I had been doing one-liners but then i was listening to woody allen and i decided to string the one-liners together and make it autobiographical and that was the first time i like every single joke killed and i would have that recording and i'd listen to it all the time because wow. like, oh yeah i'm funny i'm funny i'm funny i'm funny i'm funny okay i'm still funny i'm so funny and then i remember i lost it or something but like having that and then eventually you're like you lost the tape yeah i mean at this point it's like i've performed probably like two thousand times and that's just stand up like so I, after performing that many times you're just like you know you're funny 
because you're like I've done well however many times like so that doubt kind of went away for you yeah your doubt you have because everyone has that doubt after they bomb they're like fuck I'm maybe still I'm like enough. I'm still like I'm not as funny as this person or like I'm not as funny as I want to be but there's never a doubt in my mind that I'm like good it's like funny in general yeah like I'm a decent stand up comedian like if someone saw me they wouldn't be like why are you pursuing this <laughs> but when you first start you're like fuck why am I pursuing uh, am I am I not meant for this am I not meant for this oh people don't think I'm good I mean I'm super neurotic but then eventually you're like no I, I deserve to do this yeah so it's like super important like just having the experience producing shows gives you just like a certain confidence that you're like a comfortableness with yourself and like you just know if you have an off night that sort of feeling of self-doubt eventually goes away I mean, yeah, I think, Not I, was, completely, I, think but I was more repetition, like doing a bunch of sets. It's like doing sets. But doing just reps. putting work in, period. Like, uh, it, a lot of people think that the only work that they can put in is going on stage, and there's, like, so much to it. There's going on stage. There's trying to be better on stage, which you can do off stage, watching your sets. There's writing. There's, uh, there's, there's, where are you going? There's trying to get better stage time, like booking yourself. There's running shows. There's... Uh, and then there's things outside of comedy that could help you, like doing sketches and like all that stuff. But if you're just pure stand-up, like there's more you can be doing just besides just going to three different open mics a night. If you could just do that and get really good too, but if you want to do more, then you can do more. That's so true. Like so many comedians have, have that mentality that you just need to like do open mics, open mics, open mics, and that's it. Yeah. Um, that's not yeah you can't you can't just do the same thing and get better because um and i've read books on this but you have to continually up the challenge so if you just do open mics all the time the challenge the challenge the bar is the same like you can't get stronger if you don't increase the weights so you got to keep exposing yourself to different audiences and getting better and that's really hard when there's an active ceiling against you but everyone has a ceiling like even if you started in a small scene you can get access to better stage time earlier but there becomes a certain point where you're like i can't nothing i'm not getting better because you're not surrounding yourself with people that are better than you yeah totally so, i was actually talking to it's pretty similar it's a maybe a little bit different but i was talking to john ratzenberger our sophomore year of college who is like the pixar voice artist for Oh, uh, like he's in every single Pixar movie. Yeah, he's yeah. like, um, he's like the, the pig in uh, Toy Story. Yeah, he's, I think the caterpillar in which was that movie again? Probably Toy Story Buck. three or something. No, 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 no Bugs, Bugs Life. Life. Bugs Life, yeah. And then he's the um, he's in Cars too, right? Damn it, he's he, in a lot of. Stuff. He's in every. He's like the uh, the Yeti in Monsters Inc. Like he's a, he's in every movie. Like it's so cool to have like. A and what he was saying is that the best way to get better at your entertaining craft is have as many exp life experiences as possible. Like just do everything. Do like, don't say no to things. Yeah. You just got to keep it, uh, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. Cause otherwise you're only going to talk about stand up, For example, if you're going to go, if you're doing open mics, like what's your life experience if you're only doing open mics every day, all day. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm learning that a little bit better now. Yeah. So, Let's uh, switch gears and then uh, we'll call it. But what do you think is, you know, the most important thing to produce a an effective, uh, successful show? What elements go into that? 
Um, consistency. I think that's like, or uh, and it's supposed to be fun. Obviously, like, not you have to make um, a fun atmosphere. Um, and uh, yeah, strive for quality. As for a stand-up show, I think honestly the biggest thing is the comedians. Like, I thought it was promotion and all this other stuff, and organi- organization's huge because you gotta, um, you gotta, it's gotta seem like it's going well yeah (laughs) um but uh you know there's all these little technical things but like that i think that just gets better over time but it's the same way that like you can't be a great comedian if you don't know what good comedy is like you gotta the best shows just have the best comedians and boy like boy band didn't start really doing well until i i until i walked out of uh until i walked out of the improv space on a friday night and like 10 people walked down there like man none of those comedians are funny and i was like fuck like was i don't reset it was like last year it was i mean um it was like last it was over the summer i think and i remember being like man i don't ever want someone to react that way and i was like man i can remember shows where i felt like that was garbage like the comedians we booked were straight garbage um and i was like that's not so I started stacking the lineups, um, and I started, and then the show started doing better. And I was like, yeah, it had nothing to do with promotion. It, had, it just had to do with the comedians we booked weren't good. Because it, it's not hard to get people out to a show if you, well, it's, it is hard, it, depending on where you are. But if you're in the right location, um, and it's not oversaturated, then, like, Westwood's not, if you're at a college, it's clearly not oversaturated. Um, it's not hard to get people out, but if you have, and if you have a good show, then people come out. So that's, um, that's it. Like, just have it, have a really good show. Like book the best comedian. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard when you first start out cause you might not know the best comedians, but just, or you might, I don't know. You, you might even be like, I don't have enough people to book the best comedians. Just do it. Even I think if they start even if it starts out and they're not there's not that many people at the show and you book a really good comedian they don't care just keep booking really fire ass comedians um I think I feel like a lot of fear people might have with that approach is that the comedians won't think the show's good or come back yeah but the comedians don't care they'll do the stage time they'll do it no matter what <laughs> even if it's bad. in LA yeah especially in LA especially in LA cause in a lot of other places people expect to get paid yeah, that's, yeah, but you can still pay them again. If they got paid and the show's bad, then they got paid, so they don't give a fuck. Yeah, you again. just have to have the money then in that case. Yeah, if you're paying them, you're always going to pay them. So, yeah, just book a really good show. Um, if you have the good show part, then all your time should be just spent promoting. Um, and the best shows in the, in like, the best shows I've ever done, they promote, like, fucking hell. But the shows are fire as well. Yeah, it's that per- happy medium of, like, having a really stacked lineup and just, like, promoting it right. I think what's really makes an effective show also, from my experience, is having a niche market, a yeah, niche well, that's, audience. Yeah, that, well, that's, like, being um, in a place where, like, one of my favorite shows to do in L.A. is in Alhambra, and it's always packed, but there's, like, no comedy shows there. So, and it's, like, a nice community, so you can... You can have a show there and people will come out. So it's like, just less competition. Yeah. So if you're not like already known, then it's harder. But if you're in a place where, um, yeah, there's not as much competition, then it's it's smarter to start a show there. Um, but yeah, just like obviously when you start a show, you want it to be in a place where 
you can find an audience for it. But now with Facebook and paid ads, there's so many ways to, to like, target specific demographics. Yeah, there's so many ways, and there's so many things on the internet. Like, so there's always a way if you just hustle like to get an audience out to a show. But you actually have to hustle and be okay with um, and be okay with the first few shows not getting that many people. But you gotta um, keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, for boy band in Westwood, I feel like the niche demographic is definitely college kids. And because we're you're yeah, right next I to UCLA. I feel like getting out, I feel like our problem was not, was ret- retention. And I think that had nothing to do with, uh, it was easy to get people. It's easy to get people, but, but they wouldn't come no back if it's not funny. So Well, not just that. I think, I just think we didn't, I don't know, we didn't have a good team. There's just a lot going on. Um, I mean, even now, it's like, I don't know, it's... Um, there it's it's not as good as it was and so it's gotta it's gotta work its way back up that's true i mean that's the nature of shows i mean for i think it helped that i knew a lot of better people like and now they don't so yeah. i if i started booking again it would i'd probably be able to get bigger names and like better people yeah um i know it's for the young tech show i run having that niche demographic of just like people in tech targeting them is what's really like effective because there's just like no comedy shows in Seattle targeted towards people in tech and that's such a huge market like young people in tech and like people tend to not like them so like the comedian the art scene tends to not like that tech scene yeah so being part of both gives me that unique opportunity yeah yeah you gotta do a show for a reason too like if it's if you want if you want it for yourself to get better stage time, which is like one reason people do it, well, then you want good stage time. So you want to, then you should fucking promote because you need people in the audience for you to actually have stage time. And then that helps. But then now you have an audience. And so now you want to, you're obligated to give them a good show. So now you want yeah. to, it's so it's like, they keep you accountable. But you have to, if you, yeah, it's got to be, if you want it to benefit you, then you got to do everything right. If you want it to benefit you the most, then you want to run the best show possible. Otherwise, it's like, it's so much work to run a show. So why would you run a bad show? That is true. But then you'll be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. So that was us kind of rambling about our experiences with college comedy and running shows. I'm probably going to make a separate episode uh, just about, or blog post or something, just about like my experience producing shows and hopefully it can benefit people. But uh, thanks for doing the interview and slash co-hosting today. Yeah. I don't know why I made that noise. That was... Yo. <laughs> what? All right, cool. Are you just doing, no like, problem. like Tony Hong pro skater, like, know. like background sounds? I don't Yo. know. Yo, hey. Uh, you're, but... you're, like, the CPU characters, <laughs> like, when you bump into them. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was good. Do you have anything you want to plug or anything like that? No. Like, you're not... Not right now. Uh, Where well, can people find you? Um... Instagram at Nathan Mosier her uh, like my name and then her like uh, A-G-R. yeah and then um, and then look up Nathan Mosier comedy on YouTube and there's like a playlist and it has all my videos sweet thanks man hey guys thanks so much for tuning into working comic podcast there's a new episode every week where I interview writers directors comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. 
And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys. <laughs>